Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. episode eight and I want to start real quickly with a trigger warning on this one because I think that's important um this episode we do talk about sexual assault and so if that is a topic that is triggering and really hard for you to hear I want you to be aware of that now but Kate and I have Meg Gazwhite you may know her as the author of Intoxicating Lies she comes on the show with us today to talk about her experience with sexual assault. She had two incidents of sexual assault when she was younger. Um, both times she was intoxicated and we have a very, a very hard conversation, I think, but a very needed one around alcohol and where that puts us as women. You know, it's something that I've always been aware of Um, from the very early days when I used to drink in the park with friends and we used to get cans of beer and we put our stereo on and we'd smoke and we'd stay out in the park in the sun drinking until we all sort of fell asleep or passed out. And I remember thinking, God, I need to be really careful because anyone could have done anything. And it, it never stopped me drinking. But I remember being a teenager and thinking, it's weird, isn't it? How alcohol, you suddenly, you don't worry about things. And I know that's why a lot of people claim to drink because it makes them feel more relaxed and more easygoing. But I see that as a real danger, actually. And, you know, I ha- I know so many people. And as I said, when we spoke to her, it, it's happened to me before where I've been assaulted. And it's it's awful. And then it's the mental stuff that happens afterwards that stays with you for the rest of your life all because you were in that situation. And I, and I don't think it's a, the blame thing is, is a, is one that we touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the fact that you put yourself in the situation that was within my control. And I just don't think people realize how vulnerable you can get when you go out and you have one or two more glasses than you really should. I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to be completely out of control. I couldn't see straight. I couldn't walk okay. straight. I was slurring. I don't know how I got home a lot of the times. And I was living in New York and, and London. And, you know, who knows who was around and watching me. And it's terrifying. This has me reflecting back to my teenage and early 20s. I mean, that's when these things tend to happen more often is that age range. And I remember drinking to become a little bit more courageous around sex itself. Hmm. Um, My friends were way more sexually active than I was. And as you've all heard me say several times, I was always drinking to keep up with everyone else and to be like everyone else. And that was just another layer for me. Drinking made me feel a little bit more let down my guard with boyfriends or guys that I was dating. And looking back now, it's really sad. I was really young. I know that there were times where I didn't want to do things that I did, but I did them because I had alcohol, you know, I had consumed enough alcohol to not care. 
and to quiet that voice that was like, no, you don't really want to do this. And I think that's what scares me the most about my daughter is that I just, you know, I worry that, you know, there's just so, there was so much, so much regret for me. And I, like I said, I'm lucky that I never was assaulted. I could have been several times. I mean, there were times where I had to tell someone, no, I don't want to go any further. And luckily they respected that. But what if I was with someone who didn't respect that? Like I was just as vulnerable as anyone who's been assaulted. And it's very scary. It's a very scary thing. I remember being when I lived in New York in Brooklyn and there was a bartender there and I always used to be the last person in the bar and I would chat to him and he was a really nice guy. And at one point he went, I'm going to this party. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, it's only midnight. I've only got work at eight o'clock. Of course I'll come. So he said, well, I've got to go back and change. So I got in a taxi and I went back to this project in Brooklyn and I got in a lift and I went up to, you know, like the 24th floor, went into his apartment where his mother was in there, apparently asleep. And I remember it hit me thinking I could literally be murdered here. I'm actually really scared. What am I doing? You know, and luckily he was a really nice guy. And he went, come on, then let's go. We went downstairs. We got in another taxi and we went to this party. But it stayed with me, that fear. And I realized, you know, I am so vulnerable here. This is a big guy. He's strong. I don't know where I am. And I've just gone. I thought, yeah, why not? Be crazy. Be wild. He's he's good looking. Go with him. Meet some friends. And I put myself in these situations time and time again. And I don't think you realize how vulnerable you get. I mean... The amount of times I've had to apologize for my behavior, but I've said it's really hard to do because it wasn't really me. I know it was me, but it's not anything I would ever do. There are the warnings, you know, mm-hmm. you do things that you wouldn't normally do when you're right. intoxicated. That's a scary place to be. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do something you wouldn't normally do? It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. No. And, you know, society glamorizes that too in movies or just in general, you know, oh, I had a wild night, like telling your friends the next day, oh, I hooked up with this guy or I went and did this and that. It doesn't always go that way, right? Like it looks like that on TV or in these shows or whatever. I mean, even reality shows and things like that, where people are getting completely drunk and going home with random people. And then they, oh, they get with their friends and have a good laugh about it the next day. And that scares me too, right? Because that's just like telling people that that's how it's going to go down. Yeah. Chances of having something, you know, a sexual assault, a rape happen to you are really, really high. Um, I was looking it up. This is 50 to 77% of sexual assaults involve alcohol consumption by either the victim or the perpetrator. And so it's not just, I mean, yes, Alcohol makes us as women more vulnerable, but alcohol also will make the men more aggressive. It's a lethal combination and it's just, it's the perfect storm for these things to happen. And these happen a lot, you know, like I was talking about when you're younger and, you know. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because we don't have as much experience? So we easily pray because people know that, We're kind of, you know, we haven't gone through the kind of full-time jobs and buying a house or renting and having to pay rent. 
So we go out into the world thinking I'm indestructible. And I must say it's men as well and boys, you know, there was a a guy was raped near me recently um, and and everyone was shocked. And it's like, listen, this happens. We, Mm -hmm. We can't just say this is women, this happens to. I mean, we're talking to a woman and we are women. So that's kind of what we're focusing on. Right, let's meet Meg. amazing author and you wrote a book called Intoxicating Lies and um, in this book you talk about this very subject that we're going to talk about today. So alcohol can make women very vulnerable and it can put us in some very unsafe situations and um, you talk about your personal experiences with this in your book. So I want to start with asking why was it important to you to share such a personal um, personal events that happened in your life? Um, there are several reasons. One, um, you know, in my alcohol-free journey and speaking to women, especially in the group I participate in, which is Sebersess, so many of the women had been involved in sexual assaults. And if there was a group of 10 of us, it was usually eight of us who had experienced it. And so it just it's heartbreaking because it happens more often than we think. And unfortunately it happens mostly when alcohol is involved and the statistics show that. And I also went into a trauma response, which actually really kind of led into why I started drinking. And so if we don't have these conversations, sometimes we can't see, oh, that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's a trauma response. Okay. This is starting our puzzle pieces start to come together because especially when we're talking about sexual assaults, um, there's a lot of shame and secrecy along with our drinking too. Right. But that just compounds it because we, I know for me, when it happened to me in college, I I literally could not wrap my brain around why another human being would do this to another human being. And so the first thing my brain did to understand this and survive it was to blame myself. Even though now I know it's not my fault, even though now I know I was violated at the time, I was literally in shock and I thought I drank too much. I may have wore the wrong thing. You know, I wasn't thinking clearly by saying I would go outside with this individual and put myself in a, you know, behind a bush where no one could hear me, no one could see me. And I beat myself up, like, why did you make such a decision? But as a trusting person, I was a freshman. A lot of times this happens to people, their freshman and sophomore years, we're in a vulnerable state, we're in a new environment. And college is really a place where $2 gets you into any on-campus party where the keg cheap beer is flowing endlessly. And we normalize this binge type drinking. But what we don't realize is that we are then putting ourselves in dangerous situations, both for men and women, but most particularly for women. And men tend to become more aggressive and may even black out and not even know what they're doing. So, you know, they're putting themselves at risk as well. But women in particular, 
if we black out or pass out, we can really put ourselves into a situation where we can't even make any decisions or have any control over our bodies. Um, and that's exactly what happened to me in college. I was at this party talking to a really handsome rugby player. He was charming. And um, he said the music was too loud. Could we go outside and talk? And I thought, sure. I really wanted to continue the conversation, but he led me up behind a bush. And as soon as I didn't even kind of realize what was going on because I was buzzing on my beer, not really thinking it through. And he took both fists and he knocked them on my shoulders. And within seconds um, of being outside, I was on my back with leaves in my mouth. That's how hard I hit the ground. I mean, I'm lucky I didn't go unconscious. Yeah. And before I could even kind of realize what was happening, I my body was pinned to the ground. He was three times the size of me. And I realized in a split second, I had no control over my body. I was screaming for him to get off of me, but I realized in that moment too, no one could hear me. I was, a, the, the music was so loud in the party. There weren't really, there wasn't anybody outside. And I knew that he had thought this through and I had not. And it instilled a fear in me that I never had in my body before that moment. And I thought all I have is my voice. I have no other way of protecting myself other than with my voice. And I knew that no one could hear me. So I started, I don't know where this came from, but I started making myself unappealing as much as I could to him. I told him I was going to pee on him. I was going to defecate on him. I was going to vomit on him, anything to make myself not attractive to him. And I'll never know if it was my vile words or somebody walked by that bush, but he got off of me. And I know I'm lucky in that sense, but what happened to me thereafter is I started going into a trauma response without even knowing it. I had to control everything in my life thereafter because I had no control over my body. I stayed so busy so that I wouldn't feel the pain. And I kept that secret to myself because my, ironically, my parents, when we were looking at colleges, had said, let's look at the rape statistics at each college before we decide where you're going to go, which is kind of very ironic. But what I want to say about that, I was um, listening to a podcast and about, about this issue and that um, sadly 310 out of one, every 1000 sexual assaults are reported to law enforcement. So just like me, I didn't report it because my parents said, if this happens to you, we're going to pull you out of the college I was going to in Virginia. We're going to put you back at University of Delaware. Well, my parents were going through a very messy divorce at the time, and I just did, there was a lot of turmoil going on at home, and it was the last place I wanted to be. So I kept that secret to myself. The only person who knew was my roommate my freshman year. And when I walked back into the party, I had leaves in my hair. And she looked at me and she said, my God, what happened to you? And I said, we, I mean, I was just brimming with, you know, tears in my eyes and shock. And I said, we have to leave. We have to go back to our dorm. And I just bawled my eyes out to her. And I just said, I don't know what just happened to me, but I was attacked and I can't tell anybody. And she was like, are you sure you don't want to report this? And I said, no, because then I'll have to go back home and I don't want to go back home. 
And so I kept that shame and that secrecy inside of my body for years. And the way that I dealt with it was through doing. I just kept busy and doing, and I felt so unworthy, like damaged goods in a way that I, I just felt like I had to earn my worth. And so I did that in, in getting external validation by staying busy. And then after college, I was dating a semi-pro soccer player, another very charming, handsome guy who was very endearing. And it was a heavy drinking night and we came back to my house and I found myself in the same situation. And I, I just couldn't believe that here I was again, you know, not able to really, because of alcohol, make good decisions and really not kind of understanding what was happening in the moment of the sexual encounter. And I was date raped. And this time, this, this situation left me shattered. Um, I really went into like a hyper vigilance of um, feeling unworthy and like damaged goods. And I couldn't get out of bed for days. I just didn't even want to participate in life. I felt just awful about what had happened. And that again, I had allowed this to happen a second time. It was like more shame more beating myself up. Like, how could you do this a second time? And again, kind of putting that on myself when it wasn't my fault. It wasn't for me to carry, but we carry these burdens because we don't talk about them. It doesn't define us. It's, it's not our fault. I mean, first of all, I just want to say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, similar has happened to me before, and I, I'm not going to go into it now. Um, but your statistics don't shock me. Um, yeah. I'm really sad to say because I've got lots of female friends and I know this has happened on varying levels to them. And I can actually feel my heartbeat going when I'm listening to you because it's bringing back so many memories of things that have happened to me and friends. Um, and I think about walking home at the end of the night sometimes in London on my own, so drunk, I couldn't walk straight. And I am just amazed that the worst didn't happen to me, really. But I just wanted to talk about the fact that you you mentioned the shame. So you explain the story and then you talk about the shame you felt. And I it's funny because I'm almost talking to myself when I'm asking you this question. Why do you think we feel shame when it's quite clear that you were attacked? You didn't do anything to be embarrassed about or sh to feel shame about. It was you didn't do anything wrong. You trusted someone. But I mean, that's that that's not out of the ordinary to go outside to talk to someone. You should be able to do that. Why do you think that shame and the fact you only told your roommate? You know, I remember telling my boyfriend at the time when this happened and it was his flatmate and he just put it all on me. He said, I don't want to talk about this. You were just so drunk. I just don't want to talk about it. Please don't bring it up again. So again, I brought everything in. I didn't speak about it for 15 years. And it's, why do we do that? Because actually I should have spoke louder and said, can you not hear what I'm saying? This is what happened. And, and listening to you as well, it makes me so angry that people are going around carrying this burden when they are the victims. Um, and I think it's, 
it's because people aren't talking, isn't it? It's because it is. And, you know, we carry, you know, it's like Brene Brown said, the vulnerability kills the shame. When we share our stories, we kill the shame and we bring it to light and we realize we're not alone. I mean, there's the statistics are, I've heard as low as one in three women and as high as one in six, but it's just too much. When we think about reporting this or doing something about this, so often we are asked, what did you wear that evening? How much did you drink? And the onus is then put back on the victim. And the victim is really re-traumatized in trying to share their truth and questioned in a way that blames them, quite frankly. And because our brains cannot, I'm telling you, my brain, as soon as I got off behind that bush, it was like, it it was so entangled and so trauma- it could not make sense of why a human being would do this to another human being. And it immediately went into survival mode of, you know, we have to make sense of this. Like, this just doesn't make sense. And so your body starts and your mind starts justifying it because it just does not make any sense. I had to have my wine in the evenings to turn off the chatter and all of the demons and all of the voices in my head. And I heard Prince Harry say that it's not post-traumatic stress disorder, but post-traumatic stress injury. This is something that happened to me. It's not a disorder, it's an injury. And I love that because once I was able to get into therapy with a trauma-informed therapist, I did somatic therapy, and I talk about this in my book, I was able to get back into that bush with that little girl, that adolescent girl, and reparent her, and hug her, and wrap her in my arms, and heal her in a way that for years through talk therapy, I could not do. I was having when I was watching TV shows and movies uh, where maybe a rape or an assault was happening, I was having, I would start sweating. I would start shaking. So this trauma was stuck in my body, even though I was doing talk therapy. And it wasn't until I did somatic therapy and trauma informed therapy, where you move through your body, you have to get this trauma out of your body. And that can be with movement that can be with EMDR tapping, but for me, it was somatic therapy. Did it really finally heal it? And that's why I'm able to talk to you about it today because it was still trapped in there. And for many of us, it is. It's this unresolved trauma that's stuck in our bodies and we don't even know it. It's interesting that you drank to get away from it because we know, don't we, that drinking, you don't get away from everything. And I used to be guilty of saying, it's my way of escape quieting things down it doesn't do that it makes you more emotional it pushes things to the side but then it it puts this darkness around it and it comes out of nowhere at you at a million miles an hour and it hits you and you become so emotional and you take out something that happened 15 years ago on but for me my husband who's sitting next to me who's done nothing and I'll start getting angry with him and he's like what have I done and and I you don't link them because you're drunk and I, I saw that happening a lot and it was getting really scary. And that's just another way that alcohol is so dangerous. Not only does it make us vulnerable in the beginning, it then increases 
the trauma that you're dealing with as I, I really like what you said about that it is an injury and it's something that needs attention and care and needs yeah. to heal properly Yes, it is a wound that needs healing and attentive. It's that little girl within you that is suffering. You know, she's hurting and we have to go back to that time with a guided therapist, with a trauma-informed therapist who can really help you move that out of your body. And, you know, the, um, just like what you said, I, I would be crying almost every night my anxiety was an all-time high and my husband would come in with a glass of wine because he didn't know what to say to me and he didn't know how to help me. And I would just guzzle it down and I would just like that 20 minute relief would come over and then I was chasing it the rest of the night. And like you said, all of that anxiety and that hurt and that depression was just compounded. And I didn't realize that I was making it worse. I, I had no idea. and like you said, we take out this pain on our loved ones around us, even though they don't, and they don't know how to help us. And this is what we're modeled in society is that when life gets hard, man, numb yourself, pad yourself, distract mm -hmm. yourself, drink, you know, shop, eat all the things, but just don't slow down and feel that pain, whatever you do. And, um, it's hard, it's hard work. It's the heart work, mm -hmm. but it's the work that ultimately frees us and allows us to live in emotional freedom from this pain. And so I just, anybody who's listening, you know, you're not alone and there is help out there for you. And alcohol is not the solution. It's just not, it just makes everything 10 times worse. And I, you know, speaking of loved ones, I'm sitting here and I, I came to the realization all three of us have daughters and yeah. I can't help but think about that, right? I mean, the chances of these sexual assaults, because I was looking some things up to always, they're higher when you're younger. They're higher like in your teenage and early 20s because that's when, you know, you are like, the world is your oyster. Nothing's going to happen to me. You know, we all have that frame of mind. And then you add alcohol to that during those years. And it does put us in some really vulnerable spots. And I can't help but think about my daughter and worry about that. And that's just another reason that we need to heal when things like this happen, because it helps us heal them. It helps us be yes. able to talk to them and to share with them what happened and that it can happen at any time. Um, you're not, you know, you, you can become part of the statistic at any time and start, you know, thinking about things like sticking with your friends. Don't let your friend, if your friend's drinking, do not let them go off alone with a guy, no matter what, like keep an eye on them. It's just things like that. And it, we have to have these conversations. We just do, we do. for, for we so do. many reasons, because I don't feel like anyone ever had those type of conversations with me. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned that yeah, your parents brought up that they wanted you to go to a college that had a lower, but did they ever really like go into the detail of like, this is what you need to watch out for. This is, you know, watch your friends back, all of this. And I think it's really important to do that. 
Well, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I, I think the whole, the whole alcohol-free journey teaches you what I call earth school, all of the things that we need to learn, in my opinion, in high school, how to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, how to lean into trusting our inner knowing, how to trust ourselves. I was watching this show, and Stephanie and I have talked about this. It's called Euphoria, I think, and it's a lot about drinking and drugs and there was some scenes that really disturbed me about uh date rape and this is a show that my daughter was watching and I just this is before I did the work I freaked out I freaked out on her I had a complete trauma response to the show because it scared me that this was what kids were watching and I felt like it normalized this behavior and that frightened me and she was so frightened by my response because it was extreme. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't the best parenting moment I had ever had. And I called my sister, who's a life coach, and she said, you have got to tell her what happened to you because she's not going to come to you anymore. She's not going to talk to you. She's not going to feel comfortable. So I brought her back into my room and I told her what happened to me. And I was bawling. She was crying. And I, I just said to her, I just, I don't, I don't want this to happen to you because it is a real thing when you drink, you can't make good decisions. Both parties can't, you know? And so I didn't have the best parenting moment with you because this is in my body and it is a real thing that is really hurtful and I don't want it to happen to you. But I want you to know that if you or anybody you know does, that I am here for you and you will go on and you will be okay. Um, and that I am still trying to heal this that happened to me. And so I think that um, when we can have these conversations with our kids and just show them how impactful it is to our own lives and how it has impacted the way that we function and how it can destroy, you know, a way that you live, honestly, if you don't do this work. And I had to explain to her all the work I did to heal this and how we have this therapy out there. And that if any of her friends get in the situation to not blame themselves and to, you know, seek out the help and talk about it. Um, and so we just hugged and now we have so many conversations, you know, like mom, this one girl, she always passes out at parties. And I'm like, you know, oh my God, she's, she needs help. You know, she's, she's, she's 16. She needs help. This is not normal at 16. There's something going on with her. She has a pain that she's probably numbing out. And like, why are we doing this? Like you said, my parents never talked to me about why were we looking at all these rape statistics? Like why? It was never really explained to me. I think if it was, I would have had hesitation of going outside, right? I would have mm -hmm. had that conversation like I did with my daughter. Like when you pass out at a party and you're in a bedroom, you may think you're okay, but someone can come in there and you might not even remember what happened to you. These are it's a very, it's a really hard one because my daughter's 12 and I've talked to her about the dangers of drinking and and I'm I'm the kind of parent who takes kind of the fear approach you know she was playing with matches once and I showed her a picture of someone who had been in a fire 
And my husband was kind of like, why did you do that? And I'm like, she needs to understand the severity of what can happen. And it shocked her and it scared her and she was crying, but she won't play with those again. And and it's it's very difficult because I don't want to terrify her. And part of me feels as a mother, I need to prepare her. I need to explain the reality. But I, I feel like I'm sending her out to a battlefield and she's terrified but it's it's hard because I don't ever want anything bad to happen to her, of course. But I'm really angry that I live in a in a culture now where I have to say to my very young daughter, you've got to be so careful because if this if you do this, this can happen. If you do this and to my son, you know, um, I think it's I just, such a hard conversation because like you, I freaked out on my daughter. I mean, I completely freaked out on her. And again, it was not the best parenting moment, but that's okay. Steph and I talked about this because it shows that we're human. We're, we're not always going to be the perfect parents, right? We're not always going to respond in the, the best way possible. And I too kind of came at her with this fear thing. Like, do you think this is normal? This is not normal. You know, and I kind of I shut her down. And what I've learned with her in this whole journey is the very thing that brought me to become alcohol-free. It's curiosity. What do you think? Do you think that you're more fun when you drink? Do you really believe that? Is that true? When you were too hungover to go surfing with your friends, how did that make you feel? Was that kind of a bummer? Like coming at it where I'm planting those seeds of questioning versus the fear because that was my instinct too Kate was like don't do this and don't do that and I have to protect you but that shut her down and scared her into the kind of the scared response I was in instead it was like I want to invite you in to become more curious about where this could go and what it can do and like have her think it through and it's hard because I want it, I want to protect. I mean, it's the first thing that comes to our minds as parents is like, but it, if you think about it in our own alcohol-free journey, we had to kind of find our way by faltering, right? By having sidesteps and drinking here and there until it clicked. There, they are, I've said this to her, you're going, I know you're going to drink and you're going to figure this out on your own, but I really want you to stay curious through that whole process of the lies that you may think that our society is telling you that it's making you more fun or that it's making you more relaxed or that you're part of the group if you do it or what have you. You are beautiful and special and unique and more than enough and you don't need this to fit in. And it just because the masses are doing it doesn't make it right. And I've walked this path, you know, and she's watching me on social media She's watching everything I'm doing. And these millennials are now the ones who are the dry generation are saying, mm -hmm. no, I don't need this. I don't need this junk. We need an earth school where we're teaching kids to trust their inner knowing, to trust their intuition when it, that little, oh, this doesn't mm -hmm. feel so right. Or I feel uncomfortable. Yes, that is the inner knowing. That is the little girl or boy inside of you telling you something's not in alignment here. What get curious about it? What is it? And trust it. And really, I just now I'm about to turn 50 in a couple of months, but it's like I'm just now without alcohol learning how to feel my body's hell no's and hell yeses. You know, you say about 
questioning and, and when your intuition says it's not right. But for me, my intuition disappears when I drink. I become right. the risk taker. I become the person who will go, oh, let's just do it and see what happens. I trust yes. people I have never met who I see in the daylight and I cross the road because I recognize them. And remember, oh God, I spoke to you in a bar once. Look at you, you are terrifying. And, and you just, you think it's cool. Let's go and talk to that really terrifying looking person. So yeah. actually th there's all these different things. You, you lose control. And actually if I'd never gotten into that position, and that is one thing that I do take responsibility for. I chose to drink to the point where I was so drunk, but it wasn't my fault what happened. No. So they're two different no, things. No, it's not your fault. You can, yeah. you can limit, it's damage limitation. You can limit the chances of something bad happening to you by staying in control of yourself. It's so true. And, you know, that, that alcohol corrodes that connection to that inner knowing. I mean, it just corrodes it. And what here's the irony of it. So I have this happen. A trauma response is constantly doing, constantly having to be in control. But then I used alcohol to lose control because I was exhausted. The mental chatter took up so much space in my head. And then it took control of me. And so it's this like loop that you're just stuck in and you can't even see it when you're in it. And then you're like, thank God my inner knowing was like pleading with me, please do something about this. This is not serving us. And you finally listen to that small little tiny connection that's left. And then when you become alcohol free, that connection just blossoms and blooms back and opens up all this channeling to your inner knowing and your body, your mind and spirit go back into alignment. And you're like, oh my God, this is what living truly is, is this. It's true freedom within your body of trusting yourself and trusting your inner knowing. And it's so like this awakened freedom. Well, Steph, that was, that was a hard one. Um, I felt very emotional during that whole conversation, I have mm -hmm. to say, because it brought up a lot of memories for me of, of myself and also other people, friends who I know have experienced really traumatic things while they've been drunk and who are still in their forties dealing with the fallout from those things. But I think it's an important one. It's a conversation that needs to happen more and more often. This needs to be, if it's this common, we need to be talking about it. And it's not fair that people walk around feeling all this shame, is it? I'm not surprised by what she said when she said she, you know, met with 10 women and eight of them had been sexually assaulted. I'm not surprised by it, but I'm saddened by it. Right. And it does like you and I both felt like a physical response in our bodies as women. When you hear that, like actually hear that there's that many women out there suffering and holding on to that trauma and feeling shame, like shame is it's it's toxic in the body it's so toxic in the body and it's such a heavy burden to carry her story as she's talking it through in that interview you could just hear the shame piling up and then mm -hmm. for her to have the second assault happen and i feel like when she's talking about that all that did was just confirm to her that she was the problem right like yep you were right for feeling 
bad about the first one because look, it happened to you again. It's, it's so sad. I think more now people seem to be very much, let's make sure everyone gets home. Who are you going with? And and I like to see that. I think that's great. When I was growing up, it was each for their own. I would walk home at two o'clock in the morning on empty streets. I mean, and it was clear by looking at me from a distance that I was drunk. I would have been stumbling, swerving all over the place, you know, trying to get my key in the door. It's 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 obvious to anyone that I was vulnerable. And I put myself in that position because I drank so much that I became that vulnerable. And, and I do believe that that was that was on me. But someone who attacks you, you need permission to have any sort of sexual encounter with someone. If you haven't had that permission, it's a no. But you cannot argue with the fact that drinking makes you vulnerable. Your defenses are down. You are not as good as ju- at judging people. You feel much more confident. You feel much more safe mm-hmm. with people. You do things you wouldn't normally do, like you said. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to this moving forward. Um, as far as like educating women on how to you know, be aware of their surroundings, not like there's a time and a place to get that intoxicated. Like I'm not promoting getting drunk, but we know this, there people are going to do what they're going to do. Right. And if you're going to do it, do it in an environment where you can be safe or at least have someone that's looking out for you and like, and plan ahead. But on the other side of that too, like, it's not just educating girls and women, it's educating men, it's educating men about Hey, maybe you just don't have sex with a woman who's heavily intoxicated because she may not give you the right signals. And it may turn into a situation where you thought, oh, she wanted this. And you find out the next day that she didn't want it. And now you've got a whole lawsuit on your hands or you're getting blamed. Anything you can do to prevent something like that happening you should be doing and sadly if you cannot handle your drink or if you know you are someone who's going to drink to excess you really should try to stop I was one of those people and I didn't stop so I'm fully aware of how ironic that is of me saying it yeah but if I can help someone else not have to go through the things I have then you know why not but it's it puts us in a vulnerable situation and it makes us feel courageous a false sense of courageous or like you said we we would walk up to people that we normally wouldn't and it just opens us up to being harmed and becoming a victim of something that you know so many women unfortunately are a victim of like you Kate like I'm the last person that should be preaching that because I was not good about it myself but we have to share it and talk about it so that this younger generation is more aware because it is the younger generation that this is happening to. Like those are the ones being targeted. Well, that was quite a serious episode. It was, but much needed conversation. I think is it's it... going to really help give people a voice who maybe have not felt like they've had one. Absolutely. And just, just be careful, right? Yeah. All of you, anyone listening, just be careful. Mm -hmm. On that note, I will speak to you soon. Cheers, Steph. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. 
Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.